You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, the president is in the news. Today. Oh, I my think we're going to primarily speak about the president. Uh, we wish him well, of course, in terms of his uh, battle against COVID. But we do want to talk about the political impact uh, of him getting the virus. Yeah, maybe we'll get to that whole wishing well and then the political impact uh, part of it as part of this uh, long uh, segment here on the president. I mean, Everything we're going to be talking about this week is interconnected in a way because it has been like the busiest week of news in American it's politics. Really, it's really amazing. Yeah. I mean, every week of the Trump uh, of the Trump show is a ridiculous, jam-packed, insane infrastructure week debacle. But this one was Monday was the seven hundred and fifty dollars in federal income ta- taxes paid by the president. Right, we're going to get to that in twenty sixteen, and then Tuesday was the worst, most abysmal, most horrific debate performance in all of American history, the most disgraceful thing probably any of us has ever seen out of a president on that's Tuesday. And then Wednesday, we're going to get start going through the timeline of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of Trump's positive COVID diagnosis and the reveal of that to the American people. And interspersed, of course, uh, Amy Coney Barrett's nomination. Of course, uh, that hangs in the balance. That goes all the way back to the archaeological dig that last is last Saturday, Saturday mm-hmm. when they all you know, spread this event around. Although, yeah. potentially, Trump's debate prep team was the real super spreader event. We don't actually know yet. So, uh, right now, we're taping this on uh, Sunday the 4th yeah, of October. Yeah, we got to start doing this like uh, the NPR podcast, right? Where they the NPR politics podcast starts off every episode by saying, this was filmed at 11.06 a.m., on this, and things may have changed since, you know, by the time you hear it. Connor, I'm, I'm sorry, but you're not supposed to mention the intense oh, competition okay, right. uh, we have with them. Uh, it's a friendly competition. They, they very are very careful about not mentioning course, our podcast. Not I've once, noticed. Not once have they mentioned it. <laughs> not a single time. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about the president getting COVID. Yeah. Uh, I do want to talk about the political stuff, but but first, just first, just health statistics that people are generally aware of. But it's when you look at the numbers, they're just stunning. Start with who gets it. Okay, we've got right. a U.S. population of 328 million people. 
we have 7.3 million cases, and that comes out to, according to my calculator, 2.2% of the population. Mm -hmm. Now, of the 7.3 million cases, how many deaths? Well, tragically, 208,000 deaths. That comes out to 2.8%. Of those who get it, end up dying of it. The deaths by age group, Connor, the amazing disparity uh, here, and I, I, I'm no doctor. I, I guess it's obvious that younger people are healthy and don't have the comor comorbidities. But if you're 0 to 19 years and get it, your chances of dying are 0.03%, uh, three hundredths of 1%. If you're 20 to 39, your, your, your chance of dying is still only 0.17%. In other words, way under 1%. Now we got a 40 to 59, 1% chance of dying, 60 to 79, 9%. And if you're over 80, 28%. I mean, to me, it seems like this amazing leap from you know, 40 to 59 of 1% to 60 to 79 of 9%, you'd, you'd think it would just be a function of comorbidities, not age, but I guess it's automatically, as you get older, you've got these comorbidities. Likely, yeah. And also, our immune system just reacts to things differently um, as uh, we age. There are a lot of diseases that hit younger people harder because they trigger an overactive immune response, and there are uh, a lot of diseases that hit older people harder because they have had a lot of diseases, and so their immune system is more reactive uh, to a whole different set of stimuli and overreact in a different way. So there's a lot of nuanced weirdness going on with our immune systems that we don't really understand. And you know what? We're going to get more into immune systems uh, as we deal with the potential timeline of what Trump's uh, course of treatment looks like, the fact that they were giving him these very, very strong immunosuppressant steroids on Friday and Saturday, which indicates that medically, the course of treatment his course of treatment, he's very late in that course of treatment, meaning he was probably infected as, as long as 11, 9 or 11 days prior to receiving those treatments. And let's get into that, because I wanted to talk about the politics and you know how might this hurt him, the COVID uh, development, how might it help him conceivably? When you think about ways it could hurt him, you know, going into this, his biggest problems before the infection hit, I think, were his handling of COVID right. and who he is. Yeah. His hope with the Supreme Court nomination I think, was to shift the focus. And it seemed like it was kind of working. Let's talk about Supreme Court. Let's talk about abortion, the right. election year confirmation. I mean, very controversial. But I think his idea was it's, it's going to energize the base. Yeah, the base would rally around him. Hey, he's delivering yet another thing they want, a conservative yeah. judge on SCOTUS. So for this to happen, for him to get sick, this shifts it right back to what he doesn't want people talking about, namely, A, COVID, and B, Donald Trump. Yeah. So, uh I suppose it's going to lower his ratings for people to say, as I'm sure many people are, okay, his unsafe approach not only you know, helped boost the 208,000 death toll, it caused him to be at risk and many in his immediate vicinity. So let's get into the, the timeline that you were talking about because yeah. uh, I mean, so, exposing uh, so many people in the administration, possibly right. Joe Biden. The timeline is that the week prior to the debate, and in fact for longer than that, Trump is meeting with the debate prep team, including Chris Christie. The debate prep team, including Chris Christie, uh, who tested positive uh, shortly uh, into the week, into this last week, and is now has checked himself into a hospital. Uh, he claims that it's just, you know, as a precaution, but as we know, it's 
maybe rich people can check themselves into hospitals as a precaution. It's a crime if they can, and other people are turned away when they have real symptoms. Well, obviously but his likely. weight and his age make him automatically. Right, but if you have no symptoms, you can't just go get checked into right. a hospital right. if you're a regular person. If you're Chris Christie, maybe you can. But that means, in my mind, it's more likely that Chris is actually having real symptoms, which puts him on a trajectory of a similar course of treatment from Trump. So it's likely that Trump got it or uh, got it from his debate prep team or gave it to his debate prep team last week. That would be something like 10, 11, 12 days ago. Then they have the debate. Trump and his family all show up multiple hours too late to take a test administered by the Cleveland Clinic before and get the results back before the debate starts. And this is which day again? This, was this when? is Tuesday, Tuesday. When, they start, when they have the debate. He shows up at 3 or 4 p.m. the afternoon before the debate, and the Cleveland Clinic administrators say— Chris Wallace has reported this, by the way, the, the moderator of the debate. They said, hey, they're all here too late. We can't take their test the way we took Biden, uh, Biden and his team's tests right. last night when they got here on time. And so they say, well, we're going to go by the honor system where we just trust that Trump has gotten a negative test lately. Now, the, the administration doctors, doctors who are treating Trump, have refused to tell us when his last uh, negative test was. But the Wall Street Journal is reporting as of midday today on Sunday that Trump covered up a positive test on Thursday before his Hannity appearance. So he goes on Hannity on Thursday night and says, oh, I just got a test and I'm going to get a result tonight and or Presumably what he got was the rapid test right. so that, what, that isn't necessarily exactly. as accurate he got as a, the full-blown. He got a positive test, probably on a rapid test, probably the t- kind of rapid test he's been getting every single day. And then after that, he gets the more invasive uh, DNA replication, multiplication test where they actually you know blow up the strain of DNA that they find in your test sample and see, is that COVID? And that's very different than just the rapid antigen test where they find out if you have enough antibodies. The antibodies can be way off. You, you have as, as, as many as three false negatives, uh, one in three are false negatives because your body hasn't produced and hasn't received enough COVID and hasn't multiplied for long enough, or your body isn't good at producing antibodies, or the antibodies are just slow and they haven't shown up yet and then they don't respond on the, the test. But on Thursday, he gets a positive test that he didn't tell anyone about. And in fact, he had another advisor on his staff, says a, a White House insider, says the Wall, Wall Street Journal, uh, Wall Street Journal's reporting this. So it's, mm-hmm. this is not some made up nonsense that uh, Trump told one of his advisors, you've got a positive test. Don't tell. Don't tell anybody about your positive test. The implication being, of course, we're keeping this under wraps. So the real question is, how long were they keeping this under wraps? The obvious thing, to, the, the level zero to start with, is you should never believe a single thing that anybody in this administration says. Not only have they been proven liars their entire careers and their entire time in the White House, everything from the size of the inauguration crowd that you know, Sean Spicer lied about vociferously at their first press conference, it's all been downhill from there, okay? And they have proven themselves to be liars on this specific issue as well, because not only do they show up too late to, you know, get a test and had to go on the honor system. He then, we know, had a positive test that he didn't mention when he's on a nationally televised appearance on Hannity, that he says, oh, I'm going to get my test result in the morning. And then that night, he's takes a, he, he reports at one in the morning, Thursday or Friday morning, that he had a positive test. So now his you know results came in. They've controlled the narrative up to this point, And then swiftly, he sent off to Walter Reed. Now, what makes more sense to you that Trump has an incredibly fast onset, faster than basically anybody else, to start feeling the symptoms of the virus, 
which usually take about six days minimum before the onset of symptoms, right? So he's experiencing symptoms at one in the morning on Friday. And then very swiftly, just a few hours later, he takes the helicopter to Walter Reed. It takes six days to get symptoms. So he had symptoms. So he is positive on Monday. You think Donald Trump isn't getting a, a COVID test? Every single day, you maybe sound, twice a day. You Come sound on. shocked that a politician lies. Oh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm older than you is... are, and so I think I'm, I'm more jaded. <laughs> maybe. And, and, and it's, it's, it's interesting. I noticed something on um, on the cable news yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I was watching Boris Johnson, and you know he said nice things about Donald Trump. But after he said them, it occurred to me, he's a politician. Right. His lips are moving. Everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. And I'm going to tell you the two lies he told. Sure. He stood up and he said, number one. I like Donald Trump. He said, obviously, uh, the whole world is, is uh, rooting for, uh, for Donald uh, Trump and Melania number to, one. to do well. That was lie number one. Yeah. The whole world is not rooting for right. them to do well. Lie number Only two. Only 50% of this podcast is rooting for him to do well. Immediately thereafter, he said, we are confident, we are certain that the president and Melania are, are going to come through this terrifically. They're, they're, they're going to be great. They're strong and so right. on. They're going to survive great. That, too, was a lie. He's yeah. not certain no, because not. he knows. That's he went through it, it himself. Yeah. He knows Donald Trump's age and so on. Honestly, so, that right there, too, that whole narrative, and sorry to interrupt you here, but that narrative pisses me off. This idea that, oh, he's a fighter, he's strong, he's a superman, he's going to get through this. That, that speaks ill of every one of those 208,000 dead people in this country, not to mention the millions in the world, as though they weren't fighters, as though they didn't want to live, as though they weren't strong enough. It's a disease. It will take the people that it's going to take. That's how it works. Yep. And to say that Trump is going to beat this because he's a fighter is total insane it's, it's propaganda. Just, well, it's just what people say. It is. But again, people lie, especially politicians. True. Lie. Absolutely. When we come back, we're going to talk about ways possibly uh, this situation could help Donald Trump, as well as filling out the rest of the timeline stick with us on too many lawyers and connor please tell people how they can subscribe and check us, us out yeah so if you use apple Podcasts to get uh, your podcast please go into apple Podcasts, into the app find our show just where you went to click subscribe or download and uh hit the you know hit the like button or hit the five star review and leave us a little comment button uh whatever app you use whether it's stitcher or spotify uh or whether you use uh you know uh, the Revolver app, the website directly, it doesn't matter. Any way you, you leave us a comment or a re review uh, or anything is a big help to us. We appreciate it. Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale. Even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Buckle up, folks. The Car Pro Show podcast is here to rescue you from the doldrums of everyday life. And you can find it on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast cravings take you. What do we have here, Doctor? Looks like yet another case of the Car Pro Show podcast giddies. Do you concur? I concur. And it's spreading like wildfire. I know, but the podcast is so powerful. Jerry and Kevin dish out all the juicy car news from the Car Pro Friends universe. They review and chat about the latest car lineups from all the big players in the industry. And they take live calls to help 
helps steer car buyers in the right direction. It's highly addictive and impossible to shake. Do we alert the press? Are you crazy? If more people discover the Car Pro Show podcast and its cornucopia of car curriculum, this thing will spiral out of control. <laughs> Listen to the Car Pro Show on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast desires take you. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com. <laughs> This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Oil Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. I've calmed down. I've calmed uh, you've down. You've calmed down? But, but please, calm please fill us in a little bit more on the timeline, because I, yeah. then I want to get to ways this situation conceivably might be able to help Donald Trump. Sure. And but, I'm going to mispronounce this, but it's dexamethasone, I believe. Okay. So dexamethasone is the steroid, which is an immunosuppressant steroid that they gave Trump uh, in just recent days. And Trump's doctors are very unclear whether they gave it to him on Friday or Saturday. To my knowledge, uh, his doctors have been unclear in multiple ways, but they gave him dexamethasone. Remember that. And that's in the last two days. On Friday, we had a, uh, the first of two press conferences with a doctor named Conley. And then on Saturday, we had a follow-up press conference with Conley, I believe. And in those two press conferences, Conley has given conflicting information, information that is conflicting with itself. And he had to issue a written sort of apology, a cor- correction uh, uh, to say, you know, I, I, spoke, I misspoke uh, mm-hmm. in, my, in my press conference. And his press conference directly conflicted conflicted with what Mark Meadows said. Now, Mark Meadows said the president's condition is very serious and we're very concerned. And then the pre- and then the president's doctors, uh, at least the ones that were on TV, Conley came out and said, well, 72, well, first of all, they said he's doing great and we're not concerned. So that conflicts with Meadows. What they also said was they used the terms 72 hours post-diagnosis and 48 hours ago for when they began uh, treatment. Uh, he also dodged the question when they asked, did he require oxygen at Walter Reed? And he said no. When he knew that Trump had used oxygen, needed supplemental oxygen at the White House, which of course was a dodge because the, you're technically correct, he hadn't used oxygen at Walter Reed. Right. But that's not what we're asking. We're asking, did the president need supplemental oxygen? And then we find out later that we were effectively misled. But that 72 hours number, that's very important because the doctor said 72 hours from diagnosis. He that means that Trump's diagnosis was Wednesday morning. Numerically, that's where it takes because it was a Friday press conference and it goes back to a Friday morning press conference goes back to a Wednesday morning diagnosis, 72 hours back. And he also said 48 hours prior that some other element of the treatment had begun. That means that 48 hours would be Wednesday at some point when he started treatment. That's before he reported that he had a positive test, before he then covered up the positive test we know about on Thursday, before he goes on Sean Hannity and doesn't mention it and says, I'm going to get a test and the results are going to, or I got a test and the results are going to come in, and certainly before they announced to the American people Friday at 1 in the morning that he had a positive test. So the timeline's not lining up. Conley goes out and, and has to issue a letter uh, on White House letterhead signed by everybody, you know, Kaylee McEnany and the rest, saying, oh, 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 uh, when he said 72 hours ago, he meant... Um, two, uh, two days ago. And when he said 48 hours ago, he meant yesterday. Doctors don't make those mistakes because patients die. So either this guy's completely incompetent and is just making up numbers, or he's, they're covering it up. They're covering up when the diagnosis was, and the doctor slipped and told us how long into this disease, that is, how long from the beginning of a positive test, Trump was living. Now, think about this. If 
if we attach that, you know, hold that in our mind and go back to the dexamethasone, dexamethasone is a very powerful and dangerous immunosuppressant. The way the COVID treatment that we currently use, our, our best treatments work is you have a period of viral replication where the virus is, is replicating inside your body. And if you give the, the patient dexamethasone at that point too early, it is actually dangerous because you're lowering the body's immune response to the virus. It's very dangerous to give steroids too early in the course of treatment. And doctors are not going to make that mistake, you know, willy-nilly, right? They're not going to accidentally give the president of the United States a powerful immunosuppressant too early. The reason you give him a, a powerful immunosuppressant is to prevent the potential of a cytokine storm, cytokine or cytokine storm, later in the, in the process. Later in the course of the disease, your immune system ramps up and works too hard. It's like an allergy, sort of, where your immune system is overreacting to the virus. You get what's called a cytokine storm, which happens in your lungs, and that contributes to the trouble that people have breathing and can lead to people dying. Young people have this problem too. Cytokine storms are serious business. They're very dangerous. And that's why you give somebody an immunosuppressant to kick down the immune response, but you don't give it to them until very late in the course of treatment, like 10 days into the course of treatment. 10 days into the, sorry, 10 days into the course of the disease. So if you give it to him too early, which is a mistake they're not going to make, he's put in increased danger and doesn't get benefit from this. So when did Trump get diagnosed? So that, when did the course of treatments uh, symptoms start? Probably am- ten days ago. It's amazing that we have as much information as you've been able to recount in so few days. Yeah. Considering how people probably would like to kind of hush things up, uh, and we're I I'm just sure- love it sounding like a conspiracy theorist too. It, it, it's so fantastic. We've been so beset upon by the the, the right wing conspiracy theories. We lefties have not had enough opportunity to get in on the fun. So here's what you want to talk about. I'm sure. How could this help Donald? Trump? Oh, yeah. Uh, so he's oh, the yeah. president. He's a right. father figure. People rally around and are sympathetic to, to people like this generally. Certainly Boris Johnson got a, got a huge boost in terms of support from folks in the U.K. Boris Johnson was better liked across the oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Aisle, but so just helps. in general, I mean, if he's in a fight for his life, right. if, he could, if he comes across in an appealing way, I'm not sure how that happens, yeah. but it could be a plus. I mean, people, are, of course, have drawn the comparisons to Ronald Reagan. Great, uh, and great they, example. They absolutely. didn't call him the great communicator for nothing. He had the whole nation on his side when in 1981 he was shot and almost killed and he had those great lines, honey I forgot to duck and he quipped to the surgeons, I hope you're all Republicans and then he asked his staff who's minding the store. Trump doesn't seem capable of this kind of humor or self-deprecating remark, no. the endearing remarks, uh, things that might cause people to you know tear up and root for him. No. He's just a fighter. It, it's worked for him. It's gotten him where he is. Yeah. I kind of doubt, Connor, that he's going to take a page from Ronald Reagan's no. book. And it, uh, this, this is an opportunity, you're right, for him to take a page right out of Ronald Reagan's book and try to appear more presidential, try to appear more sympathetic. And the people who are controlling his Twitter account while he was in in the hospital and pretending to tweet for him, they did a decent but medium to bad job of pretending to be Donald Trump on Twitter. They called it COVID-19 in all caps with a hyphen instead of the China virus because they're not as racist as he is, et cetera, et cetera. They didn't do it right. They just capitalized random words and said it was fine. They kind so you're of giving tried- him credit for hiring people who are less racist yeah, than he is? really good. Good okay. job, Donald Trump. Not by a lot, but better. It's pretty good. Look, he is not going to do that. What Trump is going to do and the people that he hires around him that are almost as bad as he is are going to do is what they're doing, which is a blatant cover-up and gaslighting of the American people. They're going to do things like release the four-minute video of him 
earlier in the week, that is, I believe, two days ago, where he's sitting at a conference table with two flags behind him, and he's talking about how the treatments he's getting are amazing. Uh, By the way, he doesn't have uh, a fresh coat of bronzer on his face, so he looks almost a human shade, which makes him look eerily sick. But, you know, I I hope he gets his bronzer back soon. I I, I miss the orange. I did see a report saying he looked very pale as he was going to the hospital. But in that video, they use... Uh, like an Adobe After Effects stitched together to cut out what was probably uh, at least one cough right in the middle of the video. So he does this weird thing where he says the word, well, I'm getting these therapeutics, and then his face all tightens up and his shoulders jump up because he's coughing, and he goes... It, and then it skips over it. And you don't hear it or see it. You just see the before and the after where he's all tensing up and he's a, is about to cough. Just let us see you cough, man. Yeah, but, but you also thought the moon landing was done on a soundstage in Arizona. Yeah, absolutely. So why wouldn't they do 10 people. takes without a cough? Well, it's four minutes long. Only having one cough in yeah, there with goodness. a guy who has a disease that actually causes you to cough right, all the right. time. That's really hard to do. Only one cough is pretty good. And they just decided to stitch it out and hope that people would notice. And of course, the Internet instantly noticed. And we know why he did that. He's trying to present himself as strong because he understands that this is not good for him. He understands that his brand, his image, is I'm powerful, I'm your protector, and guess what? When you're a powerful protector father figure, you have to be able to present a credible story that you can protect people. And if you can't protect yourself, then you can't protect other people. His plan of, well, don't worry about it, only wear a mask if you feel like it or you need it or something like that, it'll be fine. Here, I'll put my mask back in my suit pocket at the debate. I don't need it. Unlike Joe Biden, he wears the biggest dumb looking mask I've ever seen. He's such a fool. He's such a coward that he would wear a mask. Look, this is the guy who's telling a story to the American people. I can keep you safe. You don't have to worry. He goes to the hospital with this thing. People don't feel safe. They do worry. It's definitely not going to help him. Now, the campaign has changed a little bit because the Democrats have pulled negative ads. Uh, and, of course, uh, and Donald Trump is not talking as much as he normally does. He's right. not roiling the waters. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get specific about possibilities, about what might happen to uh, the election situation, uh, if there is a death, if there's an incapacitation. So stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. The Car Pro Show podcast is available on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. I can't take my husband anywhere. He's constantly behaving like a five-year-old, snorting, joking, yapping with strangers. It's so embarrassing. But the one period when he's fully engrossed in anything is if he's listening to the Car Pro Show podcast. Here they are now on the Car Pro Show. He gets to hear Jerry and Kevin share all the latest and greatest news and information about the CarPro Friends universe, reviews and commentary on all the newer vehicle lineups from every major brand, stories and testimonials about ultimate car buying experiences through CarPro.com, and certified CarPro Friends at dealers nationwide. My only regret is when this two-hour break from you-know-who ends. Save yourself! Grab some me time by tuning into the CarPro Show podcast on your device anytime, anywhere. Listen to the CarPro Show on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com. Buckle up, folks. The CarPro Show podcast is here to rescue you from the doldrums of everyday life. And you can find it on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast cravings take you. What do we have here, Doctor? Looks like yet another case of the CarPro Show podcast giddies. Do you concur? I concur. And it's spreading like wildfire. I know, but the podcast is so powerful. Jerry and Kevin dish out all the juicy car news from the CarPro Friends universe. They review and chat about the latest car lineups from all the big players in the industry. And they take live calls to help steer car buyers in the right direction. It's highly addictive and impossible to shake. 
Do we alert the press? Are you crazy? If more people discover the Car Pro Show podcast and its cornucopia of car curriculum, this thing will spiral out of control. <laughs> Listen to the Car Pro Show on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast desires take you. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com. <laughs> This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, uh, we're familiar, of course, with the Constitution. It used to be before the 25th Amendment was passed in the 60s. Everybody kind of knew, yeah, the vice president takes over when the president uh, dies. But uh, That's all. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't a lot of specificity. So, so here uh, is what we're looking at. For example, if Donald Trump were to die, uh, Vice President Pence would become the president of the 25th the Amendment. Right. Is is super clear. Uh, eight times in our history, the vice president has become president, from, you know, Nixon in 74 and JFK in 63 and all the rest. What if the vice president were also to pass? Well, the Constitution leaves it to a Congress, and several laws have addressed this. The Presidential Success- Succession Act passed in the 40s. Uh, it was right after FDR had died. Uh, and it says the Speaker of the House becomes president. So if, for example, Mike Pence and Donald Trump both were to succumb to the virus, obviously we don't have any word that Pence uh, does have it, but the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, would uh, take over. Next after that would be President Pro Tem of the Senate, who happens to be uh, Senator Grassley of Iowa, who is 87 years old. And, and who refuses to take a COVID test and refuses. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's, he says, I'm not going to take a COVID test. I'm not going to wear a mask. And I'm not going to isolate, even though I had contact with some of the debate prep team and the Amy Coney Barrett. Well, Grassley attendees. was involved, Grassley, too. He wasn't at the uh, ACB uh, 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 snafu, but he did inter- has interacted with people who are, and he's on the Judiciary Committee, which th- has three people who are positive, And those people all interact with each other. Tom Tillis uh, and Mike Lee of Utah uh, are also are two people on two Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee who have tested positive. And Grassley says, oh, I don't care. I'm 87 years old. I'm Chuck Grassley. I'm insane. So if for some reason Nancy Pelosi weren't available and Senator Grassley weren't available, then it goes to the cabinet members. And, of course, they have an order of seniority. And here, of course, is the premise of of our our favorite Kiefer Sutherland show. That's right. Uh, Designated Survivor. Second favorite. Yeah, let's say 24 is a little better. Okay, so so designated survivor, the premise being uh, when Senate, when when everybody who's important the Senate and the president and all their down to watch the State of the Union. Right. they, They all watch the State of the Union together in one big room. If something's going to happen, they have to have a designated survivor who's number 37 in succession or whatever, right. uh, just in case to take over. And shocker of shockers, the premiere of the show involves Kiefer just being the designated right. survivor. So we've been talking about death. Let's talk about incapacitation. Right. The 25th Amendment says that Mike Pence would step in temporarily. Now, either the president could say, you know, I am not up for this. Uh, I am designating you now, uh, Mike Pence, to be the president. That could happen. Uh, but if the president doesn't want to do it, but everybody else knows he's incapacitated, the majority of the cabinet plus the VP could vote, at which point the VP becomes the president. But right. if the president says, you know what, I think my cabinet has just turned on me improperly, then he may go to the Congress and two thirds of each House of Congress would have to vote to say, you're out, Mr. President, the vice president is in. Yeah, so, complicated stuff, but the process of handing things off temporarily to the VP if somebody is incapacitated, that has happened several times when doc, when uh, 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 
presidents have gone under the knife for surgery. Sure. They hand Colonoscopy the, for right. George W. Bush. Absolutely. They hand the reins over to the VP, and it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty quick. I'm temporarily the president for the next three hours until the president is of sound mind. And this is something that may well come up specifically because of that same drug I mentioned earlier, the steroid dexamethasone. Steroids are serious business, and these are not, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger steroids. These are the other kind of steroids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these are the, the legal prescription kind of steroids that, well, those are also legal prescription, but you know what I mean. These are very powerful drugs, and dexamethasone specifically can can very strongly affect people's moods. It can make you uh, extremely uh, mood unstable, erratic, and even violent or psychotic. So that's something that they really have to be careful uh, when you've got a guy who has the nuclear football. And guess what? Trump's baseline is kind of psychotic, right? So where's Trump going to go if he's hopped up on these drugs and already out of his mind on COVID and he starts making terrible decisions? Who's checking him? Hopefully Mike Pence and the cabinet. But guess what? Trump has stacked the cabinet with a bunch of useless yes men who will just do whatever he says. I mean, he'll shout anybody down. I mean, the shouting, by the way, I can't, I can't, I mean, I can't, I can't gloss over what happened on Tuesday night. It was incredibly bad. I mean, I I know you are an astute watcher of presidential debates, have been for 50 years. You probably had a pretty strong emotional reaction to seeing what Trump did on Tuesday. It was just astounding to see uh, the the interruptions and the total loss of control by Mike Wallace. I I sure wish that they had had a rule of Chris Wallace. I, I sure wish they had a rule where you could just cut off the microphone. Seriously, how hard is this? It's not hard at all. And it was absolutely a tactic as well. This is a Chris Christie tactic. It's now been reported. It's not substantiated. But Chris Christie was on the debate prep team. And Chris Christie uh, is alleged by some insider who refuses to be named to have told the president and, and pushed the strategy of Joe Biden was a lifetime stutterer, that he, and he overcame it. And the best way to disrupt a stutterer and bring on the onset of stuttering is constant uh, interruptions, uh, a personal attacks, appeals to family pain, as he did to his son. All of these things are ways to try to bring Biden's uh, stuttering to the surface. And Chris Christie is alleged to have said, this is the strategy we need to use to try to get him to break down and stutter on stage, which will bolster our senility argument. On the other now, hand. Now, we don't have, some, you know, there's no one, the Wall Street Journal's not reporting that. We don't know that Chris Christie said that. But doesn't that sound like what Trump does? And doesn't that line up exactly with what Trump was doing, well, which is if constant wanted interruption? to convince the American public that Joe Biden is senile, I think a smarter strategy would have simply said, Joe, you have the floor and let him talk. Because when you listen to the half dozen or so instances where Joe seems to have lost it in the last year, it isn't during a time when somebody is clashing with him or interrupting him. He's just telling a story and he loses his train of thought. And what Trump, one of the reasons Trump was going to lose the debate basically no matter what happened is because Trump... Uh, failed to abide by the expectations rule in debate. Mm. You want to convince the American public that your opponent is this brilliant guy, he's a fantastic debater, what am I going to do? And then when he isn't tremendous, then he performed below their expectations and therefore you've won. Instead, Trump convinced everybody he's he's not lucid, he is senile, he is on the brink of dementia, and there was none of that. He sounded perfectly lucid, he held his own just fine. Especially through all this brutal interruption 
option. I, I mean, I would have struggled to actually get a word in edgewise or formulate a real thought and actually, you know, get something. It takes me 15 seconds, as, as the listeners will tell, mm-hmm. to actually get around to starting my point to begin with. Whereas Biden is just jumping right in and making lucid points. The and, Wall Street and Journal jabs. is saying that Biden's lead went from eight to about uh, 14, I think, as a result wow. of the debate, wow. because people really didn't like uh, the approach that Donald Trump uh, took on that. Uh, let's let's get to. Uh, we're not going to really have time to talk much about Amy Coney Barrett, but let's talk about the uh, the tax situation. Oh yes, Monday. One right. one, one approach, one thought about the tax situation is even without the whole COVID uh, blockbuster news. Yeah. Um, is it really going to come as a surprise to people that maybe the no. president was fudging on his taxes and isn't as rich as we thought and so yeah. on? And, you know, did he really break the law or do we know if it was a crime or if he was just exploiting the current rules? But now with COVID, do you really think with the COVID uh, tsunami washing over everybody that that tax story really has the potential to have a significant impact on the election? I do think it has uh, the potential. I do think it's going to change some people's minds because I think a large part of Trump's persona, his brand that he sells is powerful, rich, successful uh, businessman. And people know that the rich, pe- uh, rich people in this country don't pay their share of, fair share of taxes. People know that they use funny uh, accounting tricks to uh, get to avoid taxes. People know that Amazon doesn't pay enough taxes and that they use, you know, the, the double Dutch Irish, you know, loophole workaround so that they can, you know, keep it all offshore. But it makes it real and it makes it personal and it, it, it puts the lie to Trump's argument that, well, I can't just uh, disclose things because, you know, they were under audit. You obviously, when you see the number $750, the total amount of taxes that Trump paid in the year that he won the presidency, and you see that he paid $0 in 10 out of 15 of the last uh, tax, uh, tax return years, you see that he really was exploiting the system in every way, just as much as everyone said he was going to. And it really makes everyone sort of have to come to terms and come to grips with the fact that our current system basically allows rich people to not have to do their part of you know shoring up society. This is a society that made them rich. This is a society that that's cre- created the economy around them full of customers with pockets full of money that they can sell to. This is the, the country that built the roads that their trucks drive down. And if you don't recognize that the country gave you something and give your part back in taxes, then we think of you in America as a cheat and a liar. Now, yeah, we also think that successful businessmen do zero out their, you know, max out their losses and zero out their tax liability. Of course, I get that. Absolutely. But it brings into sharp relief that this is the system and that the system is stacked against the normal American, the, the, the general public of the American people. And that is the Democrats' message, is that we need a system that works for everybody, whereas the Republican message is, eh, the current system's great, it's fantastic, it works for us. Well, speaking of the system, one final word on the election in terms of uh, the president's uh, situation and health and so on. If by chance, for whatever reason, Donald Trump is not in a position to uh, to be running for president. Right, say he drops out. There, or, or if he were to pass, sure. there is an option. I was trying to be room. nice. For the Republican National Committee, yes. uh, they have the right to say, okay, we're going to pick somebody. And, of course, they would pick Mike Pence. Right. We're going to pick somebody. And even though the ballots all say Trump and Pence, uh, he, 
Pence is going to be the guy. Exactly. And then the idea is when the electors, the members mm-hmm. of the Electoral College, right. part of that esteemed system, esteemed meet system. up in late November, December, whenever yeah. they vote, uh, assuming all the lawsuits have been resolved by then, right, right, right. Uh, then they would be instructed by the various states who happen to vote for the yeah. Trump-Pence campaign uh, candidacies, then they would be voting not for Donald Trump, but, but for Mike Pence. For and Mike this Pence. is, of course, the basis of the electoral, like a, a major feature of the electoral college system is that we all think we're voting for president when we check the box that says Donald Trump. They think, you think, I think I'm voting for Donald Trump when I check that box, which I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to do. But I also think I'm voting for Joe Biden when I check that box, which I will be doing, obviously. So I'm not. I'm voting for a slate of electors picked by these California de- uh, Democratic National Committee who will go to the Electoral College, which will, I'm sure, be virtual this time, um, where they cast their votes in the Electoral College. And that's why there were uh, you know, issues last year, especially over faithless electors. There was a Supreme Court case about what would happen if those electors just didn't do what the voters told them to do. And we have real serious concerns about what faithless electors might do. They never really do it. It's never really an issue. They're always party loyalists. They always do the air quotes right thing and pick the guy that the voters picked because it would undermine the system completely if they didn't. But it's a risk we all take by using the Electoral College. But this, the Electoral College does have this upside, that the president, uh, the presidential candidate can die the day before the election and the party will just pick a different nominee. That might mean that the party then goes off and picks a uh, I don't know, Mecca Hitler, who is Hitler's head attached to a robot body, and they run him as the Republican uh, candidate. And all your votes that you thought you were casting for the sane, sensible Republican Mitt Romney in 2024, they all go to Mecca Hitler. I'm sorry, you elected Mecca Hitler. Great job. Connor, don't, shouldn't you, have... don't you remember the rule? If you mention Hitler, you've lost the no, argument. No, if I compare my enemy to Hitler. Oh, shoot, I oh, did do that. Yeah. I did do that. Exactly right. I did do that. Well, it's going to be another uh, huge week coming up. We will then, uh, next time around get to Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, We'll see what's going on with that situation. Yeah, plenty of time. Plenty of time for her. Thank you for listening to Too Many Lawyers. Have a safe week, everybody.